Dungeoneers. Welcome to Applied Dungeoneering, the D&D 5e actual play podcast focused on improving the world through the magic of industry. I'm Josh, the Dungeon Master, and I'm joined as always by my friends and co-hosts. We have Daniel here. He's polluting the ocean with chemicals. I have 75, I have 75, I have 75 rail cars of Diet Coke in the Gulf of Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good song. (laughs) On to you, Josh. (laughs) I'm going to copyright that. (laughs) That was delightful, Daniel. Thank you. You're welcome. Janelle's here as well, and... She doesn't really work for the industry. She works for Big Pharma. So I don't know if we can really trust her. So I know we've had this conversation many times now. Many, 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 way too many times. Painfully so many times. But I don't work for Big Pharma. Not every pharmacist works for Big Pharma. That, sounds, not, like it, something, that sounds like something someone from Big Pharma would yeah, say. Okay. That's exactly <laughs> like something someone from Big Pharma would say. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You keep it's telling me Big my Pharma. essential oils don't work. Keep telling me I can't rely on my crystals. Josh, you wouldn't believe it. She literally has a sign in the living room that takes up an entire wall. It's it's really big. It just says Pharma. I think it's a sign. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's asking us to support science. It's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy, yeah. Well, I don't want to hear from her anymore, so... Thanks, yes. Let's move on. Nate's here, and uh, I think he's back to planning on ways to turn people into cyborgs with science, because that's what he does. I'm telling you guys, I work for Big Pharma. They keep telling me that if we just replace (laughs) all the fleshy organs with pure mechanical beings, we'd be able to actually cure everything simultaneously. No more cancer. You know what you're going to have is some digital loss of code, you know, some memory leaks. Well, guess what? We can upgrade that. Buy now for nine ninety nine. <laughs> I don't no. think Nate works for Big Pharma. I don't think they want to find cures for any diseases. No, they no, want you they to be reliant to. on them for. See, for but the difference is, is if a patient dies because they can't find a cure versus my solution of upgrading them, you can get permanent upgrades and be able to increase the population over time, which means more people. Upgrades, people. Is this upgrades. Jasper who took over Nate, who's trying to take no, over think, Big Pharma? I think Pharma? Jasper is just Nate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Listen, it is. The best way to role play is just not to role play. That's fair. Yeah, point. That's fair. Which means he's also okay with killing all of us. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, I had a few attempts every now and then. Upgrading. That's fair. That's fair, Janelle. Unfortunately, fair. mortality is a necessity when it comes to upgrades. <laughs> Very yeah. true, I guess. Well, Joel's here, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a man of science, and I... I think his chemical abilities are definitely going to save the world. Yeah, save the world. I've got all kinds of things in store for you guys. I can't huh. let you know exactly what they are yet. but So when does my shipment to Phosgene come, Joel? That's a separate thing. That's the, <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with my, me saving the world. Okay, That's for later. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm doing my best, you know? Yeah, Joel, Joel here, he's a man of science. With a heart of gold. Exactly. And finally, we have AJ. I don't even know what you do. You don't have a chemical background. No, no, I've got a I've got a, like a more me- mechanical and, and like hands-on background, you know. I I like I, I put together like like rocks and then I you know I, I put a stick on top, you know, I use like a lever to to move the world. 
Lame. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I bet this guy doesn't even know what what water is. <laughs> Amateur. It's H2O, right? Stop drinking dihydrogen monoxide. AJ. Is it poisonous? Yes. Oh, no. I'll enlighten you. Also, if you accept this crystal theory stuff, it'll help enlighten you, too. Uh, say 100% of the people that drink dihydrogen monoxide eventually die. That's a fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But AJ wouldn't know that because unlike the rest of us, he didn't get his degree in a chemical discipline. Yeah. <laughs> Very sad. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn. I guess I'm going to die one day from drinking all this dihydrogen monoxide. It's true. If you If you drink some now... Somewhere between the next 10 seconds and 100 years, you will die. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that morbid thought aside, uh, how are you guys all doing today? Trying to reattach my arm. (laughs) (laughs) Your upgrade's not working quite as well as you were expecting? No, a screw came loose. I'll say. Yeah, I was going to say, you've had a screw loose as long as I've known you. No, that's just a memory leak problem. Sometimes I lose little beats of my mind. Just a little bit. No, I'm I'm excited. Uh, After last episode, I'm pretty excited for this new one. I'm I'm ready to see what our our visions are, see what comes next, see if if our fates are still entangled in the future or what, what she sees and everything. Uh, I'm I'm super excited for it. Actually, thinking about last episode, Josh, I wanted to ask you something real quick. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. you, you, you had mentioned that we gained the uh, citizen in good standing sort of status or, or a title. Could you could you tell us a little bit more what that means and like uh, what we could do with that? Because I know a few of us are out from outside the the empire and our our or for our characters anyways, like Fios from Longavater. How does that uh, affect him and everything? Okay, yeah, so none of you were actually official citizens of the Empire, which doesn't doesn't mean you can't live there. It's just you don't have as many rights as, like, someone who is legally a citizen. So with Lady Hecate bestowing this on you, you, uh, as a citizen in good standing, or whatever it was uh, I said, I don't have my notes in front of me, you gain access to a pretty good number of rights. The big ones include... Now you're able to purchase and own your own land or property. You have right to trial, which means if you are ever accused of a crime, they can't just do what Lady Hecate tried to do and just act as judge, jury, and executioner. They will actually have to hold a trial for you. And you also have right to an audience. So mainly with the lesser nobility, and you could really make a case for greater nobility, you do have right to request and be heard by members of the noble class if you have like a, a problem or an issue that you'd like to discuss or solve. Cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, so we can do a lot with that. We can mess up a lot with that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can see you guys abusing all of that and then not wanting to live with the consequences. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like Gunnar taking Fio to court for not sharing his chicken. Oh my god. It's so petty. It could happen. Gunner is so petty. He would. He'd spe- he would take the time to hire a lawyer just to basically just to admit Fio was uh, was wrong in doing that. I can see that. You're ridiculous. Worth every penny. <laughs> because I have 75. I have 75. No. Okay, I think I'm I think I'm ready to start the episode, here. guys. How do you guys feel? Yes, please. Good. I, good guess. I feel like a 75. 
All right, well, we're going to dump Daniel's ship over and get him wet. But before we do that, I'm going to give us a quick recap, and then we can dive back into the action. So last week was pretty simple. You guys received your rewards and recognition from Lady Hecate for everything that you've done to help the town of Brimpton. And then you had a four-week period, that's a month for those of you who don't measure time in weeks, where you could just relax, get some things out of the way, and most of all, recover from your adventuring. So you guys did all of that. You talked about how your characters leveled up and how they got stronger now and how they're going to be even harder for me to kill, which is frustrating for me. But you know what? I'll live with it. (laughs) And we ended the episode with you guys entering into Lady Hecate's room, which she has prepared to uh, read your fortunes for you. So we will move into that scene. Lady Hecate is sitting on the floor in her chamber in front of a ring of candles that are flickering and kind of casting a kind of an orangish color on the walls and bookcases. Um, Her windows are shuttered as much as she can, so there's only a little bit of sunlight coming through, just enough to, like, light up the rest of the room so you can see. And there is just this thick cloud of incense drifting through the room. It's kind of gotten a little misty in there, and it's very pungent. It burns your nose a little bit until you get used to it. But you start to feel like, not dizzy, but like a little lightheaded from it. And as you enter into the room and kind of look around, you see Lady Hecate. And she's dressed herself up. She's adorned herself with jewelry that looks like it's some sort of focus or foci because there's multiples. And her eyes have changed so that her pupils are no longer visible. And yeah. So what do you get what do you guys do? I think Gunnar screams when he looks at her eyes. Ha! Ah! But but what's wrong with your eyes? Oh, that? Oh, those are contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no, it adds an air of mystery. If they if they upset you, I'll take them out. No, and no. She, like, she takes out the the lenses and puts them off to the side. <laughs> they itch anyway. Oh, well, thank you. I, I I was a bit concerned. I, I I thought maybe something had happened, but it appears you're no, fine. No, it's 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 all part of the presentation. Normally, I do this for nobles who enjoy a good show and people who aren't really exposed to magic. But you're you're people of magic, so it's not something that would be too impressive for you. Oh well, um, thank you. That actually sounded like a compliment. I I'm at a loss for words. Well, that's good, because I can't have people interrupting me during this process. So why don't you all take a seat in a circle around this circle of candles? And she kind of gestures to you guys. Would uh, would Tuo have to like wait outside for this then? Yeah, she's like, uh, yeah, leave the dog out outside, because otherwise we're going to start getting weird glimpses into his, his past <laughs> and future. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that'd be pretty cool, for, personally, but I, I guess I understand. Yes, I'm sure you would like to experience eating his own poop. What? No, I meant... Okay, I... You don't want to experience an animal's past and future, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, Tuo, um, Veda, Veda. And he, like, pats him on the head, gives him, like, an extra thing of chicken they saved from yesterday to kind of hang on to its bone. (laughs) You're gonna give him chicken bones? 
Oh, he's got big teeth. That'd be, it'd be, it'd be, no, it'd be fun. No, no. You're going to come no. out and he's just going to be dead outside the door. <laughs> oh, no, he had the big ham bone from yesterday, right? Yeah, he's, so he's got, he's got a, on he that. has a big hunk of ham. That he That's what eat. it was. I couldn't remember what he had. Yeah, he had ham. So, so uh, Veda, Veda, and he pats him on the head and closes the door slowly. So after you guys are all seated, Lady Hecate looks around and says, All right, so... Normally, I would do something like this individually. Just one-on-one, look into your past and project towards your future. And I've been thinking about it. And ever since I encountered the five of you, I could just feel that I wouldn't be able to do that. Somehow... lazy on us? No, Jasper, I will explain. The thing is, somehow... Your destinies have become intertwined. Whatever happens to one of you will happen to all of you. So if I were to attempt to look into your future, I would it would be confused because I would start seeing glimpses into other people's futures. Among people in this room, that is. And it would be really hard to sort through things and get a clear image. Additionally, since your fates are intertwined and all five of you are here, we will get a much clearer vision. So yeah, she uh, looks at all of you and says, and so we are all going to look into each other's pasts. Not me, not me, not me. Don't worry, it's not me. You're not going to see my past. But you are all going to witness each other's pasts. And with that, we can look forward into your future. Does anyone have any questions before we begin? Um, how deep diving are we going into everyone's past? Like, what what does that look like? Um, I'm not entirely sure. It changes. It depends on the person. What we will be doing is experiencing some of the most emotionally powerful moments of your pasts. Oh, boy. Can we opt out of that? What was that? (laughs) Can Can we opt out of that? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid not. I mean, I will do my best to filter what all of you see, just so you're not overwhelmed. It looks at Jasper's checked he passed. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy tied up in a chair being, like, stripped alive of his skin. <laughs> wow. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. She's like, w- worry not. I will, I will attempt to shield you from anything traumatic. But in the end, as I said... To project into the future, we need to look into your past. Vez doesn't look happy, but she doesn't really say anything else. Yeah, Gunnar looks a little uncomfortable, but he he seems pretty... He seems willing. He's like, well, I, I mean, I guess if, if we're going to be open, just uh, we'll, we'll see what, what we see. Yeah, Theo, I swear to God, if I see a, a literal vision of you crying over spilt milk... <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. No, I, I, I don't don't worry. That was never an issue. Burning bread, sure. Milk, not an issue. Okay. So Lady Hecate looks around to all of you, checking to make sure you don't have any questions to interrupt her with. And then she says, All right, now we will begin. Close your eyes and allow the magic to drift into you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Damn it, me. Oh. 
So then Lady Hecate begins to murmur and you can like feel the air start to uh, shimmer and it begins to grow a little heavier and the air begins to swirl as darkness begins to encroach across your eyes and you feel like you're starting to fall into a deep sleep yet you still remain conscious of the cold stone floor you're sitting on and the pungent incense floating through the air permeates into your nose and Lady Hecate's murmuring begins to grow quieter and less distinct as a slow uninterrupted flow of visions begin to manifest in your mind's eye brushing through your thoughts with the gentleness of a spring breeze Jasper sits on the floor of a cluttered workshop, surrounded by various metal parts and tools, while his creator, a gnome named Priscilla, sits on a simple wooden stool and excitedly reads to him from a thick, colorful book, waving her arms and acting out whatever grand story she's telling him. A small ray of sunlight sneaks through the window and illuminates Jasper's mechanical features as a contented smile spreads across his face. A youthful Fio sits at a dinner table, eating from a mound of food on his plate. A fair-haired girl about his age sits next to him, and he keeps shooting shy glances at her whenever she's not looking, a motion not unnoticed by her parents. But they share a glance and they smile at each other warmly before the father passes a plate of pickled herring to Theo, who, not paying attention, accidentally knocks it on the girl, eliciting laughter from everyone at the table. Gunner, clad in dark clothing and donning a fox mask made of wood, runs along the rooftops of a city at midnight, chasing down the shadow of a fleeing man in the alleyway below. He jumps from the roof of a brewery, landing on the back of the fleeing man and sending them both tumbling to the ground. As they tussle, a dagger comes at him from his quarry, but is deflected at the last minute by a shield held in the arms of his dwarven friend, Bacchus, who appears from the shadows and knocks their target unconscious. Aegon stands in a beautiful green field as the grass moves like the waves of an ocean and the brilliant blue sky above him hangs cloudless and bright. His white robes match the ones worn by his fellow acolytes joining him, and they all stand around him with smiles on their faces as they recite a prayer. A light trail of smoke drifts from the censer in his hand as they perform a religious rite, and Aegon shares a brief smile with his friend Evelyn, a young woman with a kind face. A young Vez walks through the hallways of a temple constructed from dark stone and faintly lit by flickering torches. Her pale, changeling features betray nervousness and fear, but this diminishes somewhat as she looks up at the older woman who is walking alongside her. The second changeling smiles as her hand slips into Vez's, and Vez smiles back as their faces both change into those of two very similar-looking humans. The visions begin to flow faster, pushing forward like the winds of a great storm as they begin to just assault your mind. 
The smell of incense has now faded, and you feel cold. Jasper is walking through the streets of a brightly lit city of towers, towering over the gnomes milling around him, staring up at him. Priscilla rides on his shoulders, laughing with joy. Then, he's sitting at home, and she's tinkering with his arm, and he's staring at a beautiful green amulet hanging around her neck, reflecting the glints of light from the sun. Then, later, Jasper's in a forest, sitting under an evergreen tree, far from the city, alone, with a gray sky above him, as he stares at this amulet that he is now holding in his hands. A young Theo is outside in the snow, laughing as he tosses a snowball at the same girl he had spilled herring on, but this time he misses by a mile. She grins and throws another at him and hits him square in the chest, and he pantomimes a grievous wound before collapsing into a nearby snowdrift. Then the two of them are a few years older, and they're sitting on the edge of a rocky outcropping, looking out at the valley below as the snow melts and the seasons begin to change. Then, they're rushing through the streets of their hometown, now thick with snow once again, and a sense of panic and urgency on their faces, as an orange glow begins to rise above the other buildings. Gunner throws back a large tankard of ale, a feat his friend Bacchus mimics with gusto. The two of them cackle as they begin to sing an off-tune song that echoes through the empty watchtower they've made into their home lit only by a small campfire crackling on the stone floor. Later, they're racing through the streets at night once again, their animal masks hiding their identities from the public eye. And then later again, Gunner is standing alone in his room in the city, trembling as he opens up a letter sealed with the iconography of a vulture. Aegon sits at dinner, surrounded by his fellow acolytes, He's showing off by balancing a spoon upright on his nose, and his friends applaud his talent before one of them playfully thumps him in the back and causes the spoon to tumble and fall. Then later, Aegon's walking through the garden with Evelyn once again, as they read from a book of prayer. And then later again, Aegon is alone in the dark, stumbling around, the torch in his hand sputtering and flickering, as he anxiously tries to find his way through the magical blackness. A disguised Vez, still a child, sits on a bench in the middle of a religious service, with her older companion sitting beside her. Once again, she squeezes the woman's hand and feels it squeeze back, but she still flinches as she watches the priests bloodily slaughter a lamb on the altar, dimly lit by the flickering red torches. Then later... She's in her room at night, leaning back against her mother as they recline in bed, and she is listening to a story read to her from an old, bound book. And then even later, Vez is huddled behind some bushes in the dark, tears streaming down her face as she tries to muffle her sobs as angry voices fill the area around her. The swirl of thoughts begin to grow faster and more turbulent, blasting you like the winds of a hurricane. Your head feels like it's being stretched backwards into an infinite tunnel, and you can feel the stone floor giving way beneath you. The visions become more disjointed and appear to shudder 
and distort as you go deeper. Jasper sits alone in the dark, empty workshop, a slight pale gray light entering through the unshuttered window. In his hand, he's holding Priscilla's green amulet, a circular stone with a strange symbol carved into it. He stares blankly at it for a while before tucking it into his robes and slowly departing the room, stepping over a poster with the image of Priscilla drawn onto it with the words missing written above. Theo grunts and strains as he struggles to protect his friend, holding her back as she screams and cries as she struggles to move closer to her blazing home. Tears are streaming down his face as well as she screams for her parents, fighting his grip in desperation. But he won't let go, and he won't let her move closer. Eventually, she stops struggling and sinks to her knees sobbing, and Theo lowers himself next to her as well, and watches the flames rise higher and higher into the night. Gunner stands in the countryside, outside of the city, on a moonless and starless night, a horrified expression on his face. Before him are the ruins of the tower that he once called his home away from home, and now it is charred and smoking, a collapsed pile of rubble. His eye catches a broken wooden mask carved into the shape of a bear's face, and his face blanches. He awkwardly stumbles back, shooting panicked glances in every direction, before turning and sprinting down the road, away from the disaster and into the dark. Aegon sits in the forest just outside a ring of stone monuments, his face catatonic as he gazes at nothing. His robes are drenched in sweat and dirtied by mud, grime, and smeared with grass stains, and his fingers are still clutching a smoldering torch. On the ground around him lie the motionless bodies of his friends, including Evelyn, all of them barely breathing as they stare blankly up at the sky as the wind begins to pick up and the clouds begin to darken. Vez is running alone through the woods in the moonlight, sobbing violently, a dagger in her hand and her cloak wet with someone else's blood. Shouts echo behind her as she is pursued through the forest, but she doesn't look back and breaks into a full sprint. She trips and tumbles down a hill, hitting a tree along the way, but she gets up and continues her flight with a slight limp as the baying of hounds begin to echo through the trees. The visions begin to move faster, reaching a crescendo. You no longer feel like you're anywhere but in these visions, experiencing them as your reality, like you're all living through them again as one. Vez, older now, steps down the stairs of an old inn and into the dirt street of a small village, assuming the guise of a half-elf woman. As she steps out, she barely avoids being run over by a large, covered cart, and she falls backwards, landing on the hard ground, where she remains for a moment, staring after it. An adult Theo treks through the woods, following a simple road over a hill, from which he can see a small village nestled into a grove of trees. He stops and allows himself a small smile as the scent of smoked meat drifts to him from the smokehouse, and he begins his descent into the settlement, his stomach rumbling. Aegon walks down a dirt street, 
clutching his holy book as his crimson skin, horns, and tail elicit suspicious stares from the villagers around him. He ducks around a horse-drawn cart, and he stops when he sees Vez sitting in the dirt up ahead. And as she turns to look in his direction, he steps over to reach out his hand to help her up. Gunner argues with a merchant, complaining about his outrageous prices, and in an overly dramatic fashion, turns to leave the small dark building. On his way out, he bumps into the tall, muscular figure standing right behind him, causing Theo to drop the exorbitant stack of smoked meat that he had clutched in his arms. Jasper sits in a cage, covered by a cloth and pulled in a rickety cart, escorted by unsavory figures. He stares ahead as one of the wheels on the cart snaps, causing the cart to come to a stop in the middle of the street, and he watches as one of the men assaults a nearby villager. He perks up when he sees four figures, Vez, Aegon, Theo, and Gunner, walk up to confront the ruffian, and the magic begins to glow in his hands as he stands up. A darkness settles in, and things become blurred and indistinct as you fade from the past to the future. A dimly lit road through the forest, far from Brimpton, comes into view. It's a chilly night, and our group of adventurers is camped off to the side of the road, away from the view of travelers. Without warning, several bright spotlights illuminate the road around them, and the shadow of a jagged, hulking figure is cast onto the trees behind them. An echoing, metallic shriek echoes through the trees as the lights grow more intense, and then the vision shudders, and now the adventurers are standing in a moss-covered, darkened ruin, a clammy breeze brushing past them. A dark, hooded figure blocks their way, and the only thing visible beneath its hood are its dark, wet, glistening eyes. You want to move forward, but something is stopping you. A sense of dread, so powerful it's paralyzing. A series of clicks and growls gurgle from the darkness under the robes, and the creature pulls back its hood, and your heads begin to swell with a dull pain as you are filled with disgust and terror at the thing you cannot remember seeing. The vision shudders again, and you're all standing before a structure rising up from the center of a forest clearing, a massive doorway to nowhere, carved entirely from stone, its very top competing with the tips of the pine trees around it. A stone door in this doorway has swirls of strange writings across it, reaching and grasping, almost seeming as if they move across the stone as you behold them. Whispers and shouts alike begin to invade your mind as the runes begin to glow with a sickly emerald light and the door starts to grind open. And then you all come to with a start and you gasp as if you had forgotten how to breathe. All of you are lying on the cold stone floor of Lady Hecate's room, all covered in sweat, and you no longer smell the incense that had permeated the room before. Through the shuttered windows, you can see it is dark outside now, and you do not know how much time has passed, and Lady Hecate is sitting exactly as she had been before, but now she's shaking a little, and there is a 
pool of vomit on the floor in front of her. <laughs> F- uh, Theo wrestles himself up. Lady, Lady Hecate, are you okay? He tries to go over to her, try to try to comfort her or something. And uh, she she takes a little bit to respond. I think Vez sees that she's pretending to be unresponsive for just a little longer. <laughs> now that Theo's, <laughs> Theo's there, she's like, oh, "It's okay, Theo. I'm I'm doing well." Okay. Thank you for, thank you for asking. Of course, of course. And he lets go of her shoulders and, and, and sits back a little bit. And asks if she's going to finish that vomit that's on the floor. <laughs> oh my god. Gross. Why? <laughs> Gross. Well, you like that's eating awful. stuff, right? That's not, no. <laughs> oh I'm not my a, god. That's not the same. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I love it. I love it. You're awful. This is a serious moment. <laughs> I think Aegon begins to stand up, but he kind of staggers back down to his knees and he he almost feels his lunch coming back up too because you you know usually he he thinks most people can be redeemed and everything and they have a a righteous path before them potentially but that creature that he saw in the vision didn't elicit that thought from him one bit i think you i think for gunner you he doesn't set up at all he just stays lying on the floor and you hear Maybe the sound of some, like, choked sobbing from the floor. And then he stops, but he he chooses not to get up. So, uh, that was something. Does Jasper have anything? He'll just sit up into his chair. Say, Vez will probably just, like, she'll sit up, but she won't really make eye contact with anyone. She'll kind of, like, look over at them, but keep her eyes downward. Oh, how intimate have we become with each other. <laughs> Feel a chuckle at that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good little icebreaker there. Now that we know all of our dirty little secrets, we should at least pretend like we like each other for a little bit. <laughs> Come on, yeah, heads up. Heads up. Lady Hecti looks over... And she says, so just so all of you know, there were some things that I blocked from everyone seeing. I didn't think they were important for what we needed to see. I do have one thing to say. What the fuck, Jasper? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, what happens with me and my piston stays with me and my piston. Wait, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Oh, no. This is awful. (laughs) Wait, sorry. You still have to be more specific. I just wish I could forget everything. Oh. Mm. Poor John. Uh, Theo would just go and try to sit next to Gunner. Just try try to... Away from Jasper. A a little bit, but not trying to make that obvious. He's he's mostly just trying to check up on Gunner and just kind of hang out next to his bud. Just to kind of be a, a force next to him. But what do you want? No, it's, you got a you got a good spot against the against the dresser here. I just I thought you know it's good it's a good spot it's a good spot. Yeah. You're not being funny, Bacchus. I I mean, fe- oh God, Gunner just feels so awkward by his comment that he just he just turns over and just like gets in the fetal position. <laughs> uh, Fio stays there, just trying to be company. Thank you, Fio. Hey, Gunnel. I think he finally makes it up to his feet, and I think he'll address everybody in the room now and say, Well, 
what what now, everybody? We've seen potentially what's in store for us, but I don't know that it gave us much direction. And Lady Hecate looks up and she says, I think it gave us all the direction we need because I recognize that stone doorway. What, what do you mean? That stone doorway we saw at the end. The one with the lights. It's, it's an old ruin in the Mier's kingdom. No one really knows much about it. And I think most scholars have dismissed it as unimportant because it has never once given off any magical energy. It just looks like it was built by the giants long before the kingdom was established. But I think if that is where your final fate will take you, it might be worth it to head in that direction. Okay, and what do you... Gunnar sits up. What do you think we're going to find in Zaya? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, for, for all I know, that was just a snippet of some un, unimportant event that'll occur there. Or it could be the most important event of your lives. What I think is that if you head to the Mier's kingdom, I think you will find your fates there. I think if you go there and attempt to pursue your own destinies together as a group, I think more things will begin to come clear. I don't know, I'm just spitballing. <laughs> Honestly, that's about all I have. It's better than nothing. Yeah, so how, how, far, how far away is this uh, Mir's kingdom? It's probably close, right? Oh, no, it's about a, a two-week travel. Oh, there's a there's another king you'll have to pass through another kingdom to get there but I can give you passes of goodwill and the the bo- any border guards you run into will let you through that would be much appreciated what is the other kingdom that we're going to have to travel through give Josh a second to look it up in his notes cuz it's <laughs> okay. literally not important <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's the funny thing. My notes say the Mier's kingdom, which borders another kingdom, which borders the Thalexia kingdom that includes Brimpton Mark. (laughs) That's what my actual notes say. (laughs) You'd call it Middle Kingdom. Uh, So, yeah, the Dungeon Master will come up with a name for that kingdom later. Oh, okay. (laughs) When it becomes important. Possibly next episode. (laughs) I'll put it in my notes as the other quotations kingdom then got you yes the the kingdom that borders another kingdom that borders the lexia (laughs) (laughs) i um i I saw some pretty menacing figures within that whole thing and well i'm i'm for sure going to the door but i i think that i i'd really appreciate it if we all stuck together because if those are intertwined to all of us I think that no matter which way we go after this it'll it'll find us and feels like more sort of shaky and and meek than he normally is and he seems rather perturbed by by those those things so he's kind of pleading a little bit he's not sure what other people are thinking or what or what what their thoughts are but he's he's trying to lay it out there he would really like to hang around with with people I think Gunnar actually uh in a rare moment of kindness, I, th- I think he actually holds Fio's hand and he says, well, you, you got my support, big guy. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah? Yeah. We can uh, 
We can even get smoked meat again if, if you'd like. Yeah, I know a good shop. Oh, do you? Well, you'll have to share if he goes this time. Yeah, yeah no, it's the sandwich shop that I got you know, from, from earlier when we took Fergus. Oh, those were so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and La- Lady Hecate says, yeah, and Laszlo will probably a- be able to help you find a good sandwich shop. Yeah. And he's he, he's from Alcina, the capital of the of Mieres. Oh. So he can probably show you around. He knows the area. Oh, cool, yeah. Hopefully that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Theo, Theo remembering that name, he'll, he'll kind of perk up a little bit. Going, oh, that place. Um, seems like that's an important place too, actually. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, a little merchant that we talked to told us uh, Smills had some connections there. Well, then, Destiny is practically filling itself out at this point, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we own a house there now. Isn't that exciting? Wait, what? And she turns and looks at Gunner. <laughs> <laughs> and now she looks really confused. Yeah, really? We Do we, Gunner? Yeah, we, we, we have this, uh, we have a piece of paper, and it's not addressed to anyone. And, uh, well, I mean, we found it fair and square. So I, I say it's ours. It's Wait, a you, have a, you have a deed? I'll never tell. <laughs> and she says, Gunner, hmm? do you have a deed to a building in Alcina? Maybe. Did you take it from my room? And she's <laughs> no. looking really serious. Gunner's expression totally changes. Okay, no, no, no. I, I, I was being funny. No, we didn't get. I didn't get it from you. That's, that's not the case. But yes, we, we do have a deed. Where did you get it then, Gunner? Uh, internet? (laughs) (laughs) You can just tell her. No, yeah, Gunner's being difficult. Yeah, I know. Okay, we got it when we were searching, snooping around Smills' desk. Obviously, we found the deed to his place, but it had already been signed to him. But, uh, there is a place that I guess he bought in Alcina, but the deed is not made out to anyone. Hmm. Well, if you would like my help making it official, I can sign my approval on it and make it, without a doubt, your home. Oh, oh but th- well, that would be wonderful. I, what, what do you say, Theo? I don't think that's a good idea. No, what? no, it's, she's like, no, Theo, it's okay. It's part of the official process. You have to have someone sign it. No, I, I, I know. I, I mean, especially now that we're, like, you know, good citizens now. I... Well, no, even as a citizen, you can't buy or own the land if it has not been approved. No, I know. I'm just saying if it was, if Smills had it and we saw how he treats his home, I don't know if I want to exactly have our names on, on one of his, you know, potential places because I don't, I don't know what's in there. And, and if, if there's like bad stuff in there. And, Fine, and I'll sign it and it, I'll say I own it and I will lease it to you for free. But what if there was just bad stuff in there and they think that you're Why? like this weird torturer of, of people and things? Well, then Jasper, you can take care of it. Jasper picks it up and is like, don't worry, Theo. I will take care of all the weird stuff. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel any better, if I'm honest. Don't <laughs> worry. It will go to use. We can have a sauna room. 
I was just, I was just thinking, like, maybe we could check it out first, and then maybe sign it. I just, you know, it's like when you go shopping for a new house, you don't just, like, pick it up. You gotta make sure it's, like, good foundation, there's no termites, oh OSHA God. certified. Bell, you're a pooper, Theo. I'm on Jasper's page. As scary as it is for me to say it, so am I. I mean, all right, I'm just saying, this could backfire super hard. See, I'm not well, a Don't worry, it, it definitely won't backfire. You'll get this home... <laughs> You can retire in it. It'll be great. Get married. <laughs> Never. Okay. This is all over. I propose to uh, Aegon. <laughs> and then I realize sudden? I gave away the ring. Fuck. <laughs> Every time. Very well. If you would like, before you leave, we can sit down and we can discuss your new property that you saw fit to keep hidden. But very well. I I am tired, so I would like to go to sleep. So if you all would return to your rooms, please send a servant in to clean up this uh, pool, and uh, I shall see you tomorrow. Okay. Have a good sleep. Feel clean this up. I know just where to find the straw. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> all right, so... <laughs> Oh my god, AJ. No, like straw, like hay, like straw from <laughs> no the dungeon. No, <laughs> like from the doing. dungeon. No, it's straw, like the straw hay, because he vomited That's so before. gross. It's so gross. No, I thought, you were referencing, I thought you were referencing Joel's joke about no, that. No, no, I, I no. I thought no. you were too. No. <laughs> it's too guys. perfect. No, it was the straw from the dungeon, because he covered up his own, his own, his own stuff. That's <laughs> not what I thought. So, Theo cleans up the vomit. You guys all head off to bed because it's late and you guys are all probably exhausted. So Theo gets back a little bit later because he had gone and cleaned up a little bit. So he gets into his room and he gets about halfway in and he sees his window is open. And he's like, I didn't leave my window open. And then he hears the door slowly shut behind him and he hears a voice say, hello, Theo. What? And he turns and looks, and standing next to the door, with his hand still clutching the doorknob, and a smile full of perfect white teeth, is Mr. Smills. No. How are you doing tonight, Theo? How, how are you? And he's getting real angry. He's starting to light up a little bit. And he raises one of his hands, and he says, Now, Theo, I mean you no harm. Well, I mean you harm. Well, that's okay, because I have simply come to give my congratulations and my goodbye. What, what do you mean? Well, you exposed me here, so now I am destined to leave Brimpton. My masters won't be very pleased with my failure, so I'm going to go on the run, I suppose. And I just wanted to stop by and see you off before I did so. You know, Theo, it took a very long time for me to reattach that head. Oh, sorry, next time I'll make sure to make it harder. Oh, of course you will. Of course you will. Are you going to tell me where you're going? Uh, where are you going? Probably where you're going. Well, no, because I'd like to go in the opposite direction. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you now, it's going to be hard, because gonna, we're going to track you down and find you. Oh, well, good, good luck with that. You know, Fio, you're a little too tenacious for your own good. 
I've been told that before. You like to poke fires, make them flare up. You like to get involved with things that you have no business getting involved with. You like to attract the attention of those whose attention you don't want. And let me tell you, Fio, you've gained their attention. The gods of the mind are watching you now, and there is no escape. Farewell, Fio. Hope to see you again, never. Fio tries to lunge for him. And he just steps backwards, and you feel a rush of air as, like, space, like, bends around him as he dimension doors out of the room and you just stumble into the door you break it open the opposite way that it's supposed to open into and you just stumble into the hallway and you hit the floor hard no no so we fade out and then we fade in to an ancient forest black and foreboding rested hidden in the dark rifts and valleys of the mountains. The wind howls around the trees, carrying the sounds of drums past the dismal pines, and the thick clouds hanging over the trees block out the moon and stars. A small clearing is the only source of illumination this dark night, a massive bonfire blazing in the center of the circle. A ring of nude elves sit around this fire, their heads down, pointing their antlers towards the flame as they sway and weave in unison to the beats of the fell drums played at the edges of the trees. Their arms are wrapped around each other's shoulders, forming an unbroken ring, and the thick black patterns painted onto their bare skin glistens in the light. Despite the chilled air cutting through the night, beads of sweat are beginning to form and run down their backs. Standing in front of the fire, surrounded by the ring of swaying bodies, looms three figures, one standing up front and two standing behind them. The two in the back are swaddled in simple black robes, and their hoods and cloaks are pulled tight to hide all of their features, except for their clammy, bluish hands and the reflections of the fire in their wet, glistening eyes. The figure standing in front of them, a male elf with four-pronged antlers rising from his mop of messy auburn hair, stands undressed from the waist up, similar black patterns swirling across his face, back, and chest. He's holding a bloodied knife in his right hand, and his left arm is extended over a shallow, water-filled scrying basin in front of him. His fist clenched as blood streams from his hand and pools below his little finger, slowly dripping into the water below. With each drip, streams of crimson twist and dart through the water, contorting and forming swirls and patterns as they mix with the fluid and the magic of this blood and water gives him sight across far distances. The elves' lips turn down into a hideous grimace as the patterns flow to depict blurry, moving images of humanoid figures in the water. Images of Jasper, Gunner, Theo, Fez, and Aegon. 
accompanied by the image of the recently deceased body of Edward Smills lying on the floor of his home. His view lingers on the image of Jasper for a little longer than the others before he grimaces again and gently bites down on his lower lip, cutting the flesh of his teeth and allowing the blood to flow from his under his skin and into the horizontal grooves filed into his teeth. He turns, his bloody teeth darkening his mouth as he faces away from the fire and towards the two cloaked figures behind him. Without a word, the two of them turn and step over the ring of swaying bodies and depart the clearing. The elf turns back to the fire and stares beyond the blaze at the massive stone doorway towering in front of him at the center of the clearing. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I got 75 ways to die. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it and our other episodes with your friends, family, and co-workers. Your boss, if you're daring. Visit our website to find your copy of a D&D Quick Starter Guide, and feel free to join our growing community on the various social media platforms in the description. There, we discuss episodes, Dungeons & Dragons, and STEM topics that we all love. Thanks again for listening. We can't wait to see you here at Applied Dungeoneering. Some of the background music in this episode is from Monument Studios. Check out their other music at monumentstudios.net. The song Vikings is from Tabletop Audio at tabletopaudio.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0. creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash nc dash nd slash 4.0.